I feel like I'm the only one that doesn't take notes. Uh, no, it's just me and Ben. Uh, yeah. do, do other yeah. people take notes no, when you do no, it on the no. podcast? No, no, and I and I every time like, hey, you guys could take notes. I don't mind when I'm doing it with Robbie. It's fine though, because Robbie also takes notes. <laughs> um, to be fair, my notes are things like my first one is Blade Running, Running, Blade Running, Running. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm a big fan of that. <laughs> we we need that as a cover ASAP. <laughs> Well, that's a, as good a way as any to start the podcast, I <laughs> yeah, guess. Of um, as, you, as you know, I don't really know how to start the podcast yet, but it'll probably do something like, wait, hold on, what you got for me? What are you going to say? <laughs> <laughs> I like it. All right, good. New Perfect, intro. I love it. Yeah, no, it's good. Were you going to say something? You start <laughs> no, talking. I, I feel like I had a sentence that was kind of formulating, but I was also paying attention to what you were saying at the same time. Okay, that works. Hey, that, well, that's the new intro. Uh, my oh, name Perfect. <laughs> Welcome to Late to the Movies. My name is Ben Holt, and this is the podcast where my friends and I get to fill in our movie blind spots. Every week, we'll pick a movie that either I or a guest hasn't seen before, but really should have by now. This week, the movie is Blade Runner. The person new to it is Robbie. What a surprise. Back in it. And And Will. Okay, I didn't know that part. That's exciting. So it's not just Robbie. Um, So yeah, Robbie and Will are here. How are you doing, guys? Doing good. Ridley Scott's Tots. That's right. Yeah, Ridley Scott's Tots. Ridley Scott's Tots ride again. Um, I should disclose that I've actually seen a different Ridley Scott movie since the last time we recorded. Not just Blade Runner, but just this week I went to see House of Gucci, hmm. which is not like Blade Runner in a lot of ways. But there's maybe a couple. If I really think about it, there might be a couple of things. But um, no, no, no huge, crazy accents like Jared Leto's doing in that movie <laughs> in Blade Runner. Blade Runner's a little more vibey, a little more subtle, maybe. Although you could put Jared Leto, Leto into that weird guy's spot with the the creepy mustache. Oh, the other guy. Yeah, Jared Leto would love playing that guy. <laughs> oh, geez, yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into it. Um, so, Robbie, you've been on a few episodes since last time, but, Will, you haven't been on since the Alien episode, so have you seen anything good lately? I know you say you've been real busy, but... Uh, yeah, I've been pretty busy. I was able to go see uh, Shang-Chi for the Marvel. I still want to get around to see Venom and now the Eternals that just came out, but I haven't really been watching movies, more just re-watching the same TV shows every single day. Yeah, I think, you know, especially now that it gets dark at like four o'clock, it's, you just need some comfort food every now and then. Um, yeah, I don't see the sun too much. You don't have to rush on Eternals is my personal I have not heard that. good things about the Eternals. Yeah, I, I gotta go into it with an open mind. Fair. I, I did and I still, you know, <laughs> but... I hope you have a good time. <laughs> I, I mean, I do have more like the read a lot of comics, so yeah. So, so you'll be extra disappointed. Yeah, I, mean, I, say, I, I think it's going to so, be worse. You, know, <laughs> uh, you gotta look at it like two different things. The MCU isn't or six one six. So right, right, right. It's yeah, a different topic, but I think it might be time for Marvel to meh. just calm down a little bit. Had its run. It's been good. Well, nah, I mean, it's fine. We're, we're expanding the universe. It's going to be great. We're starting to hit the other side of the bell curve. I don't like it. Maybe. <laughs> this is the first theaters-only Marvel movie. Um, Wait, Sha- was Shang-Chi theaters-only? Yeah. No. Um, I know Black Widow was also Disney. Like uh, Shang-Chi Widow. wasn't movies was, was movies only, but came out on Disney Plus maybe like two months after release. Okay. Oh, okay. That's what I'm thinking of. I think just this week it came out on Disney yeah. Plus Day, right? Um, But... So that being the first one, now this, I guess, the second one, and it was, I mean, a big gap in between. It was, um, what, Far From Home, and right. then we had the whole pandemic and stuff. And Yeah, big yikes. Yeah, 
they got to take a big break and it came back and it's kind of like, I don't know. They, they don't have, it's not an obvious direction for this phase yet. I think once they get some of the heavier hitters in, oh, okay. there's new, you know, new Spider-Man movie coming soon. Dr. Strange. I am saying though, I've called this for a long time. Kang the Conqueror is going to be the new big bad. It seems to be based on, um, well, no spoilers. One of the shows, I guess. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Scarlet Witch. No. no. <laughs> oh, so that will Loki. Loki. Two other Loki. Ones, so. Jesus, <laughs> obviously, obviously Loki. Okay, where he's well, the bad guy in it. <laughs> sure. Okay. <laughs> bad guy is a tactical term. He's the he's the big guy at the end. Morally ambiguous guy. Speaking of moral ambiguity, Blade Runner. Oh yeah. Yes. Um, look at I wasn't we didn't have to go there yet, but it just seemed like too obvious of a transition to pass up. Um, I guess either of you, since both of you are new to it, who wants to do a plot summary? Take it away, Will. Um, so best I got is uh <laughs> Best I can do. Well, best I mean, offer. Go I for it. That's only seen it. Best once, I got is robots. you know, um, we have the retired Blade Runner is pretty much called back for one last job. I feel like that's a very popular like, retired cop movie thing or action movie. Sure. Um, and is sent to hunt down some replicants. Um, and that's just his, he's the best one in the business, came back for one last job and has to take out four replicants that made their way onto Earth. So it only says it right at the beginning, but did you guys catch what year it is? Oh, it's, uh, was it 2019? 2019, pretty much... Right, right on. I think they got it pretty accurate, yeah. If yeah, I remember anything get, about 2019. <laughs> we got plenty of replicants around, right? Yeah. Dystopian hellscape, check. So this takes a lot of credit for aesthetically being the progenitor of cyberpunk with the flying cars and all that stuff. Uh, a lot of that credit ends up going to Ridley Scott, but it's Sid Mead's art is really the main driving force here. So just saying that up top so we don't get yelled at <laughs> on Twitter or something. Um and a, a big a big part of the cyberpunk that gets carried over from, you know, books that in, inspired this into stuff that was inspired by Blade Runner is that it seems like the government's collapsed and been replaced by super corporations. Oh, uh, okay, okay. okay. Um, so that part of it, I feel like, not too far off. So the people employing him, they weren't the government? They were like a corporation? Um, more, more saying like there doesn't seem to be a lot of authority outside of, you know, there's the Tyrell corporation, which seems to operate out of a giant pyramid in Los Angeles. Right. Yes. Um, Los Angeles, a lot more multilingual, uh, they were anticipating. Yep. Um, that's, that's, that's city speak that I think, like I said, I took these notes a week ago and haven't looked at them since then. Uh, Edward James almost was that's who was the weird yeah gaff he plays gaff which i don't know if his character's name is ever mentioned but it's gaff they might Um, have mentioned it maybe once he's the um guy who seems to be maybe deckard's handler uh we'll get into that later but um he's they're speaking city speak which is a bunch of different languages all kind of pushed together that if i remember correctly he helped come up with Okay. Uh, so Edward James almost very into the 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 kind of um, texture of the background of this film, while only being in a few scenes, but pretty pivotal anyway. Now, why does Harrison Ford not understand the language if he's been doing this for so long and 
apparently he has a good way of talking to people that just killed a, me just They're a like, typical white guy just you, doesn't care He's you're the cop. you're the best in the business although you can't communicate with half the population but you're the best it's like, well i think um i don't know what what when when could he not understand the language i'm not um, saying you're wrong it's just uh, the actually like the beginning scene where he's getting uh, food oh right yeah and they're talking and the the guy serving him is translating or whatever yeah what his like what is presumably his old co-worker is trying to say to him like i need this random vendor to translate between me and my co-worker i just took that as he was pretending not to understand because he was also pretending not to be him okay but okay all right I'm- but it does it's not explicit that that's just I just was like oh okay and I didn't think about it too much. You, well, it, to be fair, it doesn't come up again. I'm glad you mentioned it because it bothered me as well. Like, why the hell doesn't this guy speak the language? I I don't how, know how I'm supposed to take him seriously. Yeah, and I I feel like he wasn't really in hiding because they kind of stumble upon him whenever they want him. Did did they even say why he was in hiding? Did he just not want to do it anymore? I don't think he was in hiding. No, I, think, I, think I think he, he just, just retired. Retired. retired okay. He was just off, and he knows that that guy. If he's talking to him, it's about work. And so he's okay. like, not me, guy. All right. Like me on the weekends if I get yeah. a text. <laughs> Got the wrong guy. I don't I've know. Never, I've never heard that name. Disconnected. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Just don't check your email on weekends. It's it's bad for you. Yeah. So um, should mention Harrison Ford plays Rick Deckard. Rucker Howard plays Roy Batty. One of four replicants that Deckard comes up against during the movie the uh, daryl hannah is one of them too i don't remember the actors who play the other two sorry and um you know extensive notes were went more towards other things i guess this time than who's in this movie <laughs> uh m emmett walsh is the main cop guy that gives him the assignment which i only mentioned because m emmett walsh is one of the best character actor names ever <laughs> Uh, he plays Bryant, I think but who cares he's in like one scene he's like go be cop and and he does um <laughs> Something about the 80s. Every cop looked like that guy. Well, yeah, that's the thing. It's it's playing on the sort of, you know, 30s and 40s hard-boiled detective noir stuff, mixing it with the cyberpunk you know, retro-futurist kind of thing. That's something I wanted to mention when I was telling you before. So up, up front, I wasn't a huge fan of this movie. And I think a yeah. lar- large portion of that is I do not like the noir. Like that L.A. noir game people loved hated it i can't watch those like when a show does a play on those episodes i skip it it drives me up a wall like the black and white smoke going what's mm-hmm. going on gam like no nope yeah um okay yeah sorry i, I have other issues with the la noir game but we'll, we'll get into that when we <laughs> run out of movies and start talking about um video games all right and you were in between, I think, um, right? I enjoyed the world. I don't really mind the whole like nowhere or uh, like aesthetic, but I do. I feel like I did have some like issues with the movie overall. I don't know if it was more like it hasn't aged as well with me, like as a movie, but I still did enjoy it for what it was. Like I see what it probably was when it came out. Okay, cool. Yeah, we've got a Goldilocks situation because for me it was just right, and um, I, I love this movie. I think it's a you know an awesome iconic piece of work, but I understand um, why you might have some issues with it, and we can go a little freeform on this one. It, it's sort of moodier, more than plot driven, in a lot of times. But just to address right off the bat, because if we don't now, I'm going to forget to. The version we watched was the final cut, which is the one that's available on Netflix right now, and the one that is purportedly the truest to Ridley Scott's vision. There is a lot of differences 
between it and other cuts, most notably the theatrical cut that came out originally in America, had an additional uh, narration track from Harrison Ford that Ridley Scott was forced to include by the studio who thought that people weren't going to be able to follow it. Have you guys watched any clips of that narration? I have not. I have not either, but I feel like it would not have fit well in that movie at all. No, because Harrison Ford, if you've ever seen him introduce a category at the Oscars, doesn't care about other things. I don't think that man has cared about anything in his life. No, he likes crashing planes and smoking weed, and that's all he's about, and maybe his his uh, earring, but that's, uh, that's it. I was noticing watching that movie, like... I- I, I haven't noticed this about Harrison Ford before, but does he want to be an actor? Like, it doesn't seem like he is enjoying himself or like he wants to be here. Like, yes. is does somebody like kidnapped him? Is he okay? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, famously, I don't know how apocryphal it was. I wasn't there, but he was cast because he was just sort of around when they were needed someone to run Han Solo's lines in Star Wars auditions. He was there as a carpenter, right? And you know, just him and Jesus. Carpenters, that is what they wanted to do, and they just were called to other things. Forcing in other roles. Yeah. But he, in the in the narrative track, it's, it's really bad. I wish I had watched it again with that just so I could have more quotes to pull, but it's not really good. He is kind of even more hamming up the noirish aspects of it, but I don't know if it's because he is purposely making if he, maybe he's just bored and kind of, kind of comes out like that, but he's, you know, it's like kind of like she had robot legs all the way down to the floor, that kind of thing. You know, that was my other like thing when I was trying to like think about my criticism of the movie, it was how much of it am I upset about? Because there's clearly supposed to be a little bit of a new, like the newer style has that narration and you could tell some of the gaps in like the storyline where it was just, you know, a little bit of jazz and some scenery probably could have used a little something. It, I'm assuming it wasn't what they made Ridley Scott do, but to the noir theme, I think that's a pretty common element in it. Oh, for sure. And that comes from radio plays back in the day because that and that, that's all they were was narration. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely you can see why they were like, I mean, this needs some of this. And then. Ridley Scott didn't want to put it in, so it comes out terribly. Uh, and and just also note, between the director's cut and the final cut, which uh, the director's cut doesn't have the, the narration either, but it looks a lot different. Oh. And there's some scenes that for the final cut have been refinished. And a lot of, I don't know, it, it the final cut just looks better to me. You can look up a YouTube comparison. Maybe you like the other one, but hmm. um, especially the the most iconic scene in the movie there's some pretty big differences on uh, the scene on the rooftop at the end. So that's, you'd say that's the most iconic scene in the movie. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. The, uh, you know, you, you people wouldn't believe the things I've seen, seen. Yeah. Ooh, tears in the rain. So good. Um, I guess anything specifically you guys had an issue with, I'm curious. So I've, I've actually managed to boil it down. Um, great. So I I think part of it is just the nature of being like one of the first things. It's tough to to betray that. I do get a little caught up because I think there is stories that came before this that were maybe a little bit better done. What it came down to is like if you look at a movie like iRobot, right? It's It's a story about a robot showing human qualities. And I feel like that bleeds through really well. But when we have these actors trying to be robotic... I don't think they did as they didn't do as good of a job betraying humanity 
as a robot trying to be a human did, in my opinion. So it was kind of lost on me where I'm supposed, like, I could tell I was supposed to be like, well, who's the real person? It's like, well, these people are acting like fucking weirdos. Like, they're not, their portrayal of what a robot trying to be a human would look like didn't really line up with what I was expecting or what I thought was a good portrayal of that. But I've seen that, you know, 50 times since this came out how much credit do they get for kind of spawning that, I guess is the... That, yeah, that's an interesting way to put it. When I was in college, I watched the movie Double Indemnity, which is credited of a lot of the noir stuff. And it is impossible to watch for me today because just growing up with, like you said, any TV show, any I feel like any cartoon as kids had like times it would slip into the noir pastiche and it all took lines directly from Double Indemnity. And so then you watch it today and you're like, oh, this this is really cheesy. It's like, well, it wasn't at the time. It blew people's minds at the time. And, and that's how I tr- <laughs> I'm trying to approach it. I don't want to like yeah, shit on the movie. I just, I can see where it's been perfected. And I think it really ruins the the initial watch, which is, this is the first time where I regret not watching something earlier. Like I was thinking when I watched Silence of the Lambs, like me getting to watch that as a 30 year old, as opposed to like a, a 12 or 13 year old, where a lot of people saw it was probably to my advantage. I think I probably got to take a lot more out of that movie than a younger audience would. But with this yeah. one, I, I think the opposite. I think I would have been better off watching it younger. Okay. That's yeah, I, I totally see what you mean. And you, again, you're, you kind of feel that, but not quite um, as strongly. Or well, well, not that. I think my main gripe with the movie is, um, for someone who's supposed to be the go-to guy to find replicants, he gets his ass handed to him the entire movie. Like, he, I, I guess he's very good at the detective work side of it, but, like, for someone who probably is, like, taking out so many replicants beforehand, he does not do a good job. Well, I guess the, the Nexus Sixes are different, right? And then um, we're outlawed, so I don't know. But... If they were outlawed, been, yeah. but just from Earth, though, right? They could still be in the colonies. I got to watch the opening text crawl again. <laughs> oh, they, they could. I, I, specific, I did. I did. Well, write. they're considered I, illegal on Earth. Well, so that was like one of my notes specifically about the uh, Nexus Sixes was um, why just Earth, and are they still slaves on the outer colonies? So, like, is there any ones that just get to live free, or in this world, are they all just like you have a thing to do and you have to go do it? Well, they all know that they have a very short timeline, and according to Roy, living in fear is slavery, so uh, maybe, they're, maybe they're all slaves uh, in a way. Well, we're all slaves in that definition. <laughs> What's the difference between four and 60 years, honestly? Well, hey. Well, it did say that the- That's the, what it wants you to think about, I think. Well, well, it was only the Nexus 6 that got the four-year. Yeah. Were all the others just was, immortal then, or? I think the other ones were more robot-y robots. Oh, okay. Mm. I think that's the implication. It doesn't necessarily show you, you know, whoever, but maybe it does. That that might be another bit of the problem I had with the movie is I think they didn't try to flesh out the world as much as I would have, have liked them to. I, I think there was a lot of missing elements to the story that they just tried to flash up on a blimp screen real quick and just be like, this is the setup where they could have made a much better picture before throwing us into it. Yeah, you- oh, you're saying that you want a more fleshed out world instead of just a block of text. Yeah, because like, I mean, I, I didn't even get to see like, what was a replicant supposed to be doing? Like, wh- well, what does a replicant doing well, its job look like? What is, how is this think, supposed to I think run? like um, manual labor. Yeah, from, from what farming. it seemed from like the little blip that it was like um, anything that was considered hazardous for humans or 
where they didn't have the capability to have machinery, they could lift, say, what, four or five times whatever a human could. And right. so that you're not jeopardizing human lives. But then you're you're kind of skirting that line of, is this considered slavery because now they're more considered human, you gave them emotion, or is it not because they're still technically machines? And I mean, so that whole, that obviously always breeds its own questions of like, why did you even give them emotions and, and all of this? But yeah. I, I think more the, more the point of what I'm getting at is like, you gave me a group of four replicants, and I, I think Ben hinted at this, but presumably five, because I think there's a theory that uh, Deckard is one as well. Well, then but, that would make it six. Because with Rachel. Because with Rachel's the the one you find out later on. But all of these ones that you've provided to me are are provided as exceptions. Like they're the four have developed personalities more than what you normally develop because they they mention that they kind of grow into their own thing. And that's also how they were programmed as well, to have like further back memories. And and so they, they did that, but they never show you like well, what's the difference? Like, what is this supposed to look like? What is the what was intended? Like, you've shown me the the bro- broken ones, and that's fine, and I can kind of work with that. But I just I don't know what I'm comparing it to. I have no frame of reference for this. So, like a decade later in Jurassic Park, there's the line that's quoted all the time online. You know, you were so busy wondering if you could, you didn't stop to think if you should. Right. Paraphrasing, obviously. Because this movie is not about dinosaurs. But um, I think it is, when you get down to it, it's about Tyrell being the Frankenstein character and creating life and wanting to play God and for his own edification, trying to make a life. Interesting. As human as possible. Interesting. And then not really grappling with all that entails. That's how I always take it. I think there's a lot of, it doesn't show you, you know, the exact blueprint of how this world works. It just says like, this is what's happening. This is what's going on. And these are the themes I care about in this little section of the world. Um, I think that, I mean, that's how I take it. But again, like, I think if you're watching this for the first time, I imagine it would be very slow and very strange and you don't know why anyone's doing anything for a while. Yes. I mean, especially when super you, fair. <laughs> you introduce Gaff as like one of your first characters and it's like, all right, is everybody like, like, what's this guy's deal? And then yeah, again, it's just deal? like, why is he dressed like, like, why is he dressed like this? What's with the origami? And I mean, the only purpose that seemed to serve is like at the end to let them know that like he was watching him or let him go or whatever. When he put the little like swan on the, but outside of that, it's like, what? The there, there's another, there's another reason for that one, but we'll get into that at the end. Oh, I think we'll, great. I think we should build to that. Um, oh, <laughs> it's all over the place. Okay. Yeah. I might have to watch this again. Maybe I just missed a lot. I, it I did have a lot going on. I th- well, you've always got a lot going on and we know that. Um, <laughs> I think it's, it's totally fair to not enjoy this on a first watch. Um, not that you need my permission to have your own opinion, but I'm, I'm just saying. I, I No, but I like to. Like I'm trying, well, as I was watching this, I was trying to think, okay, if I didn't know what was going on here, would I know what's going on here? And like, no, you fucking wouldn't. Yeah, I mean, the Tyrell angle, it, it does a lot for me because him being killed in the movie, 
like in where you're saying like this is what I care about and these are the like I feel like he didn't do enough to make me care about those things. And mm-hmm. that's like so when Tyrell was killed, it seemed almost unnecessary. Like I didn't feel that like this is a man who tried to play God and it's finally getting back at him. And and I I like that feeling. Like that's a good like motif. But um, I, I didn't get that, and I I like that perspective. I think it's more. I I think that serves the whole idea that he just this guy just didn't really think about it too much. He was just like, oh, this is a thing that I think I can do. And I want to just be like the guy who did this, okay, but not really grappling with anything else. He just was careless, I think, is what it's saying. So I it's not his that argument big was really good with the four years and like your life burns a lot brighter. I, I didn't mm-hmm. see a, a problem with that, to be honest. Uh, the replicant did. He was not happy about it. But. Uh, well, he didn't want to die. To be fair, he didn't have to. He they didn't have to make it in the beginning where they only lived four years. They chose to right. do that, and yeah. now they can't fix it. Right? Yeah, they chose to go that route because of uprising and everything else because yep. you don't exactly want a, a superhuman force <laughs> to have to deal yep. with that won't eventually just go away right because you know that you're specifically building them to be better than you <laughs> at everything to be smarter and stronger well yeah. not, um it wasn't smart it was the uh, same intellect actually i believe what? well they i think the replicants would disagree <laughs> Oh. Based on how they carry themselves. Uh, you're probably right. They said they had a similar level. I think oh, okay. they basically said it was like a, a little bit better than a human intelligence. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So yeah, in that, in that scene, it seems, you know, so I guess let's... Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll just start from the beginning, I guess. <laughs> yeah, whatever. The first 10 minutes of this movie are great. We've um, made uh, Ben rub his temples, so that's a first for us. <laughs> I got a haircut today, so I'm just feeling the, uh, you know, like right after you cut it, and it's got, yes. it kind of feels like little spikes. Ooh, I love it. I thought we were stressing feel. you out it's with our feel. lack of structure. <laughs> no, no, I like it more. I think we're getting less and less structured every episode, and I kind of like it. Hmm. Um, it's better than saying, you know, here's what happens next, because presumably yeah, that's, that's people may have watched process. this movie and we just hit on the interesting shit. Um, I guess if we do want to start vaguely in some kind of order, the first 10 or 15 minutes of this movie are just so incredible. Apparently that's just an opinion, but um, to introduce you to, you get, you know, November, 2019 or whatever. Was it November? Whatever. It's 2019. Yeah, it's 2019 though. It is November as we're recording this. So maybe that's why I got November on the brain. And you get the smokestacks over an extremely dark, just gross-looking place that it tells you is Los Angeles. And pl- plenty of plumes of fire, too. <laughs> yeah. my, my note was, well, it actually does kind of look like that. Very smoggy. That's that's the argument. And you see this, the fire reflecting in an eyeball, and then there's a car flying through the air into this crazy-looking, weird skyscraper corporate pyramid and um, I think this is the first time it shows you the building length geisha advertisement, which speaking of cyberpunk, I noted later she's taking pills. Um, one of them looked kind of red. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it's not, you know, it's not super clear. It's a big projection on the side of a building. So the fidelity is not all the way there. But um, <laughs> I think at one point I wrote down that she's taking pills and it looked kind of orangish, but that could be interpreted as red maybe um and it just introduces you to this crazy visual style it starts with that you know you're in a some kind of helicopter shot or whatever and then there's a car flying through and it just gets layer by layer it shows you the pyramid and then it gets all the way down to deckard at the street vendor looking up and there's some kind of crazy looking blimp going by 
saying like, oh, start a new life, go to off world. Um, what? Well, yeah, it's just great. And you get down there, it's all neon and rain. Everything's wet and gross. I have a off world is definitely a shit show. Like as soon as oh, I yeah. saw that where it's like, go oh, visit yeah. off and start. Oh, like, oh, that's indentured servitude is what that is. I know right away. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's a capitalism uh, persists in this world. The the other thing, I'm glad you brought up the exterior shots because this has come up a couple times watching these older movies. And it, it's just funny how futuristic the exteriors can look. And then as soon as they get inside, you're like, oh, it's the 80s. OK, you, you know, like they really they they did such a good job on exteriors. And it, it was a tough it was a tough call for the interiors. But you think you think like Tyrell's office looks like how 80s offices looked? I mean, <laughs> I mean, Maybe not like it's look. Like, look, he has like a Roman emperor throne room thing going on. Yeah, and I, I mean, honestly, <laughs> uh, well, I mean, also like Deckard's room looked like almost like Aztec. Aztecian, yeah. And like, it, I feel like it definitely has a little bit of everything everywhere, if that makes sense. Because yeah. then, when later in the movie, when we visit um the the creator of the mines, the program, I can't remember what his name was. Was it Simmons? No. The crazy dude Tyrell? that makes no the crazy dude that makes oh, the dolls. Oh, uh, JF Sebastian. Yeah, Sebastian. There we go. JF Sebastian. His How can you forget? Place, he's twenty five. Yeah, he's twenty five. Looks like he's ninety. Um, but his whole place is like almost like yeah, m- more like a hotel slash yeah, like yeah. museum. I don't know what that style is. So I, I think you're misunderstanding. I'm not saying like it looked like the eighties. I mean like exterior. If you want to tell me you're in the future, you're in space. Yeah. I I believe it interior it's like this is the 80s like Mm. i could believe that even though it's supposed to be 2019 i could believe that was like 2150 from the outside i see okay and then like when you same thing with alien you know the spaceship it looks really great from the and then on the inside yeah it's it's just a trash but like it's it's impressive with how well they did with the exteriors and all these movies is is what i was more getting at because it did look very very um futuristic i guess is the word for it yeah (laughs) one <laughs> well the be- the best line the from the opening crawl if we're just going to go backwards now it ends with um talking about the blade runners would get these robots or track them down and kill them it was oh, not, they, they don't they don't kill them they retire yeah yeah this was not called execution it was called retirement yeah great line to start the movie on just really cool mm. um and then that opening scene with the void comp test which you don't even know it's called the void comp test yet with uh, Leon and the guy who's just annoyed at him. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I feel like that just sets you into the world so well. And wow, D- just a cool scene. That was my favorite scene. Yeah, that was my favorite scene. So um, it's the best, and I've heard of them before, and I've had a terrible time conceptualizing it, but it's the best example of a Turing test I've ever seen, mm-hmm. where it's like determined to, to tell if you're a robot. And like when they started going down that turtle question, where there's no purpose to what he's talking about, you can see why he would be frustrated. And I thought that was just very well yeah. done. Very, and, and, very well and you done. can like see that without hitting you over the head on it, Leon, who's a replicant, is trying to follow the logic of the question and he can't. And that's what's frustrating him. Exactly. Yeah. Um, So I thought that was very impressive. I was very, very happy with that. Yeah. That, that scene's so cool. (laughs) Why is the turtle on his back? Yeah. Doesn't matter why. Yeah. It was like every every single thing. It was just needed that line of logic, which now that we're talking about, I guess I need the same thing. So fucking nobody retire me. (laughs) (laughs) When Deckard is brought in by Gaff to meet up with Bryant, M. Emmett Walsh, he tells, you know, if you're not a cop, you're little people. <laughs> um, 
uh, one thing that I do that I was keying in on this time, a lot of cyberpunk stuff is very explicitly anti-cop. <laughs> okay. And uh, watching it with that in mind this time, I feel like this movie is also very anti-cop. That's, yeah, okay. I, I picked up on that line too. I was like, that's an interesting line. But Yeah, I think there's not, it's not too much of a stretch if you want to say, it's still a little bit of a stretch. But if you want to look at this and say, by the end, it's pretty clear that Deckard's the bad guy. Uh, or because he's just too weak to not do this thing. And it's very explicitly chooses the order in which he kills the replicants mm. by just going to a person's like dressing room and murdering them. Yeah. Completely with unprovoked. And is how it starts. I mean, so I could I could have like probably a six hour conversation about whether or not retiring the replicants is morally bad or not. I, I honestly like I know what I'm supposed to think and I, I understand the point being made, but these are machines that were built. I mean, you gave them a personality. Did you give them a soul? I don't know. I don't have a strong I think uh one I think of, it shouldn't be up to Deckard. <laughs> at, at, at any rate. But at the same time, I think the more reason why they're hunting them besides the fact that they consider them illegal which is a whole different thing is that they hijacked a um like a transport and killed like 20 something people yes so i I can see where that's a little bit more of a we're hunting them down because they're a threat not because they're replicants on earth and you're looking at them with a personality type i mean i'm looking at this as a car recall you know (laughs) Brutal. I, I, yes, <laughs> but like it goes into the nature of ownership and creation. And uh, I mean, who, I, like I said, a six hour podcast, honestly, we could go. Yeah, about this no, I day. think that would be really interesting. Uh, I just want to point out as we're talking about um, this cyberpunk noir movie that Will is framed with uh, the sunlight coming through the blinds right behind him, which is, uh, you know, a huge hallmark of noir fiction is uh chiaroscuro light coming through blinds and all that crap oh the, there you go the, oh the, there was so much lighting in that movie oh yeah and just it was not people correct. constantly having light on them coming through blinds every angle in deckard's apartment <laughs> deckard's apartment was an interesting choice i did like the aztec and i'm kind of upset that we don't do more like aztec architecture I, and I stuff mean, like that just do it yourself, just I guess. Do, I mean, my landlord will love that. <laughs> I think it'd be fantastic. <laughs> it adds some value. Hell yeah. Uh, the first time he meets Rachel in this movie, it's not exactly like a meet cute and most romantic comedies. She says, do you like our owl? Um, <laughs> yeah. Just a very so seductive opening line. Is it just to acknowledge that just there's no more animals on the planet? Pretty much. Okay. And that's why they're just genetically making animals? Mm-hmm. Okay. It yep, was really funny. Synthetic. I, I took synths. it took me a while to pick up on that until he asked her if it was a, a real snake, and she was like, "You think I can afford a real snake?" I was like, "Okay, it's flipped." Because so I was wondering why there were so many animals everywhere, and then I was like, "Okay, these are fake animals. They're apparently very cheap to make." That yep. makes sense. Yep. Another thing that a lot of other cyberpunk shit copied, um, and we don't have to mention every time there is because there's a lot in this movie. Um, well, so did there? There wasn't cyberpunk before this. I mean, so this movie's based on uh, Philip K. Dick's novel, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Oh, no shit. Uh, which, fortunately, they came up with a different name for the movie because that would have looked clunky on a movie poster, I think. Yeah. That one's not as techy. That one's not as, like, cyberpunky, and it doesn't necessarily look like this. Okay. Again, a lot of that is the art of Sid Mead coming in. And uh, what really Scott wanted to focus on, it takes the trappings. The main character's Deckard 
he's a cop, but in the book he has a wife um, who says, like, get your cop hands off me. Again, very anti-cop. Um, Hilarious. Um, so is it still replicants in the original? I've never read the book, so oh. I, I know it's really different. And I, I, re- I read somewhere, oh, it's really different, and I did not investigate further, and I'm sorry. I'll, I'll probably read that book. I've heard a Go lot about it. it, so I'll report back on the case. Yeah, please do. Well, if you uh, do it in time, we'll cut in a little bit there. But uh, but yeah, so it is um, based on that book. There is some stuff before it, but, but aesthetically especially, this is considered that thing. And then a lot of the language and stuff comes from other it's like an iterative process which i guess fitting for something that's so tech influenced it's iterative uh neuromancer the book comes out a couple years after this introduces the term cyberspace well the author does in a short story that comes out i think actually this year 1982 but then his first novel william gibson is in 84 that's neuromancer stuff keeps building and then you know in our world today everything's really influenced by the matrix, which is 1999. So yeah, everything just builds on top of each other. It just, it just really hit me like a ton of bricks that cyberpunk really couldn't have existed before like the eighties because they never would have had a frame of reference for what that could have even looked like. And that's yes. nuts. That's yeah. There's no nuts. internet in Blade Runner. Yeah. Uh, yeah. two years later, uh, William Gibson, who came up with the term cyberspace in neuromancer imagines what an internet might look like before the internet's invented. And that's a, a really interesting kind of thing, too. Hmm. Awesome. Uh, yeah, good shit. Cyberpunk school. We all like it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just trying to. Th- there's a lot to there's a lot to drill down on here. Oh, I, the, the Rachel meeting, though. I don't I think we just talked. Yeah, that was that was a weird thing to do. Like here, like grill grill my replicant on whether or not she's a replicant. She also doesn't know technically yes. until you do this incredibly invasive experiment on her. Well, Tyrell's checking to see if it works or not. And so he's he's testing Deckard. So when Deckard afterwards is like, oh, she's a replicant. He's like, ah, oh, you figured it out. Gotcha. Yeah, you passed my you passed my Rachel test. Yeah, checking credentials along with if his own creation can be detected. Right. Yeah. 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 Okay, that makes sense. Yes. I wonder if he was anticipating her figuring out. Like, do the replicants always realize by the end of the test they're a replicant, or is it can it be a situation where like they don't realize they failed? You know. Yeah. But um, she definitely it it screwed up with her. Yeah. Yeah. It super it super did. And then uh, Deckard doesn't exactly break the news to her super gently when she goes to his apartment later. Oh, d- definitely not. <laughs> yeah. Again, I think you, it's not hard to read this as Deckard's the bad guy because he's a real jerk. Yeah. No, he is. <laughs> he is. And that was, we, we, Will and I briefly discussed it, but I had a note that said, uh, Harrison Ford loves kissing women that do not want to kiss him. It's like his go-to thing. Yeah, it's not, it's not great. So I think that's another thing. Like, you'd be like, oh, that doesn't hold up well. And it's like, well, no. I think you're supposed to think he's an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> And maybe they would convey, they would probably convey that differently in a movie today, but I don't think you're supposed to be like, Ooh, what a cool suave guy. Yeah. No, it's just like, this guy's just like a scumbag just doing his job. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't think you were supposed to. I think a lot of people did at the time, but I don't think you were supposed to. No. I don't, yeah. I, I think both of both points are fair. <laughs> Uh, so yeah. What's up with, what's up with JF Sebastian? We should talk a little bit about his apartment. You mentioned earlier with the various, Oh, Various, obviously, real people playing robots. Um, yes. Weird stuff. He, he's got like a real, I don't know, what is it, Victorian kind of fetish it, thing going on? Yeah. Yeah, like that or like maybe like 
carnival-esque. Yeah. I yeah. masquerade-ish. You know what, actually, now that we're talking about like Decker being the, clowns. the bad guy and all of this, I am me man, he sorry. It, so I immediately assumed that he was gonna be some creepy weirdo that just like wanted to take her apart. And I'm now just realizing that was a hundred percent the fucking intention that he actually wasn't a bad guy. He was just somebody that was just trying to do things he liked. And uh what? I went off and I judged him right away, and that I think that was the point. Yeah, because he got that old face for a twenty-five-year-old. He's he's uh, the the reps use him to get into Tyrell's because in a move that I appreciate, they never explain why this guy who is the janitor <laughs> who does like normal trash pickups just in the city streets. They also inspired Goodwill Hunting. Yes, exactly. <laughs> is also like pretty good friends with seemingly the most powerful man in the world. I, I think that's why he has that whole complex to himself though. Yeah, maybe I think it's more like, Hey, like the, you get to live in this lavishly. You kind of have whatever you want. Yeah. Where friends playing chess kind of thing, but also like just kind of be away from everyone. But so wait, was he the janitor? Did they, he's, pi- he's picking up trash when we meet him. Like, I thought he was just walking back into his oh, house. Oh, I thought he was because. Oh, okay. I thought he was just going back into his house too. I, I didn't think. I thought his car looked like a tiny trash truck. I think, and maybe that's where I'm. It's, maybe that's so, where my brain's going. No, you know what? I know exactly what he was doing. He was picking through trash for parts okay, to yeah. build more, and that he Smart. found her looking yeah. for more. Like I'm going to edit this so it looks like I knew the whole time. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> But yeah, no, that that makes sense because it would be really weird if this janitor also like had a a high level knowledge of robotics because that's why I didn't question that where he knew Tyrell because I was like, oh, maybe Tyrell actually like even stole things from him. Like he's the real master. Oh, yeah. He's he's the guy who made the thing that the rich guy made his idea because, you know, whatever. He can do it. He has the resources. Right. Like, you know, if you work for Google and you like are developing on one of their computers or something. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Notice work computer. Yeah. Personal computer. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Don't let your work cross. If it's for you, it's for you. Personal. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay. Yeah. That makes a ton of sense. But yeah, they use him to get into there. So here's here's a question I was thinking about as first time viewers. What's your understanding of what the replicants are trying to do on earth like what is their goal yo what is their goal i don't think they know i I, (laughs) well i I think they're just trying to live and exist and like not really be found just kind of do what they feel like they want to do i feel like they have like the general build or resources to kind of manipulate their way into whatever like place they want to be so the ambiguity works not just with the morality, but also with motivations of characters and the plot itself in this movie, mm. where I, that's how I, this time I was like, oh, okay, they got, their goal is we need to figure out how to reverse the four-year limit. The guy who is most likely to know how to do that is Tyrell. Everything we're doing is getting to Earth and finding a way into his office so we can talk to him. I got that towards the end. Yeah, but, but while it's happening, <laughs> while it's happening, and what threw me off is like, why was one of them just like a, a a rock star apparently? And like, how did he get away with just? And I know they said like, oh, they're just retired, but like, there was no questions that this woman who was presumably on stage and famous just got gunned down in the streets. Uh, I took it like more is more like a strip show. Oh, so, yeah. okay, I, I'm okay. assuming that was like okay. way of getting yeah. information or resources. She was naked when she came off stage. Because <laughs> um, 
it, when they were listing off the different she, replicants. She was a pleasure model, right? Yeah, she was the pleasure model. Oh, I thought the other one was a pl- pleasure model. The you other know, one was, was like, yeah, the assassin. She's a bad assassin. Oh, she's uh, most of her assassination uh, maneuvers are gymnastics based, which yeah, seems like a strange choice. It was a very weird choice. They. The, there that mansion scenes they felt like those weird 80s like trippy music videos where you're like what the <laughs> fuck is is this like safety dance All like sudden, what's going someone's on animated i don't know what's <laughs> happening exactly yeah. <laughs> uh so let's actually go through it this way then we'll go through the replicants he kills in order. all right there <laughs> you go starting with zora the pleasure model who he goes and finds at the club that he tracks down after finding uh information the, from the a fake snake scale yeah, yeah. So he finds her there, does a real weird gambit where he pretends to be in like uh, like like a union rep for performers or something like that, right? Yes. Yeah, making sure like they weren't getting taken advantage of or Yeah, but he chooses to purposely come off as extremely creepy. I, I think he was I think he was testing her. Yeah. I, I was I, I was thinking that he wasn't sure if she was the one or not, and his way of being so off-putting was like he was doing like an on-the-fly like test. Yeah, but it was also weird. Yeah, the, the yeah, voice I thought he, choice. Yeah, was exactly. Very, like the voice yeah. choice was like he, he was he made a strong choice. I was just like, oh, so Harrison Ford can act at times. He doesn't just have this <laughs> one persona. And it's weird. Like she's never met you before. Why are you trying to change your voice? I think he was just entertaining himself there. That's fair. That's what Decker does for fun. Um, So yeah, he's just kind of a jerk in this scene. And then she just tries to run away, puts on her see-through coat and like takes off. Yep. And then he shoots her and she runs through like seven panes of glass in slow motion. Still one of... I think it was more to show like how sturdy they really are. Because it takes two... Oh, like yeah. shattering shots. Yep. Yeah. But I think, it, like I said before, I think it's very ex, like an explicit choice that the first one he kills is just trying to run away from him. Right. And was just like performing on stage and wasn't actually doing anything dangerous at that time. We yeah. know that they've killed people. We don't know right, if she right. has. I was. Just, we specifically <laughs> hadn't seen her do anything that was even right, questionable. Yeah, like exactly. she, she specifically was just like a random person that got murdered in the streets. Yep. Right after he murders her in the streets, retires her, uh, Leon attacks him, but that's like Leon sees him gun down his friend in the streets and then attacks him. And yes. Okay. Like you can just, I mean, you see what Leon's going for here. Rachel shoots him in the head. Way to go, Rachel. Interesting choice. I'm yeah. wondering what's going through her head. I'm also real curious of the policing laws there, seeing he just... Yeah. Just openly, people shooting each other in the streets. Yeah, just shooting each other. He's no line of sight. Just, yep, just civilians just, everywhere. Just going, and then all you do is be like, here's my badge, and then they're like, you're good, bye. Yep. It is funny, because I did when he took that shot, I was like, you'd never see that in a movie today, because nobody would like actually take a shot in a crowd like that. They'd be like, oh, no. like A, a police officer would be like, oh, no, I can't take this shot. You know, yeah. And they're like, no, fuck it. Just, no. Yeah. He's like firing like 50 caliber rounds like in a crowded sidewalk. One of those people could like duck down and they're just getting taken out. Yeah. Yeah. It's an extremely crowded street. He's just firing away. He doesn't never, never has to answer for this particular incident. Well, like, like we were saying about the Blade Runners, like the police do show up and all he has to say is he goes to Deckard and he gives them the ID and he doesn't even wait for them to verify. He just walks off and they don't chase him. They're just like, oh, okay. It was just a replicant. Yep. Yep. So then, so after getting, 
Briss, uh, sorry, not Briss, Zora and Leon down and retired. He, there's some other business in between, but basically he goes to the building that Sebastian lives in and that's when they have that fight there. Did they explain how he found that? Yes. Oh, well, no, he was listening to scanners and said that he had showed up dead, like he was killed. Yeah, yeah. So all he all he was doing was following up on Sebastian was killed and he thought it might be related. So he was just like going to like investigate his apartment. Yes, yes, yes. And Pris happened to be there still. At that point, they had already killed Tyrell. That's what led him. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Um. Should mention also a little bit before that, whatever, we're going all over the place. Who cares? Is the unicorn dream, which is not in the theatrical cut of the movie. And uh, the unit, you know, the the unicorn dream when he dreams about a unicorn. Yeah, it's just trotting through the forest for no reason at all. Yeah, I blanked that out. I, I don't even remember it. Okay. <laughs> was there narration in the movie? In the movie you watched? There was not. It was the one on Netflix. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, it, it's only for like maybe. 20 seconds yes it's just a unicorn white unicorn just trotting through the forest it looks at you and then it's that's it to be fair there was a lot of parts of this movie where i watched and i just like some of them i did rewind to try to understand it and there got to be a certain point where i just went what the fuck and just let it let it pass by so i may not have latched on to that one because there was a lot of what the fuck moments for me we'll come back to the unicorn dream uh it's important though (laughs) um Oh, I'm sorry. Before we move on, because we mentioned him killing um, old young guy, Benjamin Button. Uh, that kind of takes away from the moral ambiguity, in my opinion, because he was also just trying to get away at that point, and he killed him. And I, I double-checked that. I need to make sure. So the, the replicant did kill him, and that was straight-up murder. I think what you see with Roy is that Roy is gone, is kind of losing his mind. and He's gone over. Is, yeah, he's just gone over the edge, and he's yeah. really just like desperately trying to find the answer to this cure and then Tyrell can't give it to him. So in a fit of rage, he kills Tyrell and kills Sebastian because Sebastian happens to be there. And and I mean, they Sebastian also would be their only lead to them as well. But hey, before we go too far, we should mention right before he kills Tyrell, he does make out with him. Ridley yes. Scott loves robots making out with people, either their creators or themselves. Good point. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, so I guess if he had like smashed his throat in, it just seemed like, because I even had to, I had to rewind to make sure. And like, I, now that you mentioned, I remember listening like, oh, they found the body because um, he calmly walks and, and follows him wherever he went. So I, I get what you're saying. It, it's the only lead, but um, you know, on the, on the morality side of things, I think we gotta, we gotta mention both, uh, both <laughs> black marks and, and that's a pretty big one. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying like Roy's the good guy. I just think... <laughs> I just think Deckard's the bad guy. Okay. All right. That's fair. That's fair. That's just just how I was trying to zero in on this time is all. And maybe I'll edit this so we're actually talking about the movie in order. But I just had a note (laughs) when he's looking, Deckard's in his apartment looking at a photograph. It's right after the unicorn dream thing. And he's zeroing in and he finds out some information, whatever. He... um, is doing like an enhance sequence from like detective fiction and uh, procedural TV. Incredible. He's just going like, basically going enhance, enhance and like zeroing in and moving the photo around and stuff. And it's like, ah, 
1982, they're already doing the enhanced thing. It was amazing. It wasn't even the enhanced thing. It was like, zoom in on that mirror. Okay, well, now from there, we can go four rooms down the house and into that guy's bedroom. <laughs> what the hell is going on here? Very cool. It was it was very well done, though. Yeah. yeah the other enhances like suck in comparison. If you're going to do it, go all the way. <laughs> yep. So all that and stuff. I, I also can't get over the fact that it literally prints like Polaroids. That was very funny as well. Mm-hmm. It's like, all right, now shake it for a little bit. <laughs> I like that too. Yeah, I think, you know, public officials always have out-of-date equipment, so makes sense. Uh, when Leon is about to kill him before Rachel shoots Leon in the head, he says, uh, you know, uh, I mean, you know what it feel, feels like to have an itch you can never scratch, wake up time to die, <laughs> and then he dies. Um I think that, yeah, the idea of an itch you can never scratch, I I believe is, is a pretty big deal too, but you know, mm. cool shit. He goes not intending to fight Pris at, which is Daryl Hannah's character at uh, Sebastian's apartment. He's just following up on a lead. She pretends to be one of the creepy dolls and then does some gymnastics fighting on him. Yes. And uh, it, it's, it works at the beginning, but then um, she's really kicking his ass, but then goes for like a real like WWE style finisher with like a huge run up and stuff. And she's doing back handsprings at him and he just shoots her. Yeah. Yeah. yeah definitely could have killed him a lot sooner. He definitely gets his like ass handed to him the entire movie. And I don't yep. know how he's supposed to be <laughs> the best of the best. I wrote here, never bring backwards handsprings to a gunfight. <laughs> and I was really proud of that. That's great. You like that. You're welcome world. Um, the building that they're in, by the way, is the Bradbury. Um, and I wrote here, I guess the dick wouldn't have been as good, even though it's a dick novel to shout out Ray Bradbury instead, get some (laughs) sci-fi in there. Nice. Um, after he kills Pris, just, uh, in a kind of, in another, like pretty, uh, she dies in a pretty upsetting way when she's just like convulsing on the floor. Yeah. Like a just malfunctioning. Yeah. Yeah. And again, just a lady trying to do back handsprings and shoots her right in the stomach a bunch of times. Fair. I also don't really understand what. Rachel's MO for constantly following Deckard around was like after she found out she was a replicant when you think that she would flee knowing that he's a hunter I think um at that point she he's the only person who's um talked to her in the movie that's still alive maybe not a great maybe a failing of uh you know building a strong female character but Tyrell's dead and that's the only person she's talked to I, I don't know what point it was but she also does specific no it's right after he tells her she's a replicant he she asked him if he would hunt her down and she said no but somebody else would no but I'm saying like even before that where she goes there talks about her past they then he recites back like the thing about the spider describing it's like oh you just have Tyrell's niece's memories right right, right. and then you find out later that she flees after and then um, she comes and back. then she comes back after he's killed the first replicant and that's when he tells her he wouldn't sh- but it, it's in between those two things yeah because then um after she saves him because he is about to die right it's a constant theme of him this movie um rachel saves him and then later is like hey like you know i owe you one i wouldn't do that i just write that off as her having nowhere else to go yeah you know, like she's been with Tyrell her whole existence and the only person she's ever met is this other guy. So like, what are your options? Go with the crazy replicants you've heard about or, uh, well, you know, I mean, this guy she, that was kind of nice to you, I guess, by 80s standards. I mean, she also mentions about what if I just go north? Mm. So like she had the option to just flee. 
Yeah. I mean, I could say, what if I just go north? I wouldn't know what the first thing about just going. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, man. So, yeah, I think with Rachel, it's just kind of like she thought she had a family and, and siblings and stuff, but it turns out she doesn't. So she has him and he does owe her because she saved his life. Mm. And then I believe you're supposed to understand that they have some kind of connection. I don't know if that part's as successfully conveyed. No. Um. <laughs> my, my only thought for that was that um, he has like all those incredibly old photos on his piano and maybe she happened to look like one of them and that's why she changes her hair and that's why you know so much about the niece. We'll talk about the photos again when we talk about the unicorn. I was going to say, I know where I I can't wait for Ben to explain this to me because I've heard all of the, I've not heard them. I just, I'm aware of the theories. So I'd like to see how they come together. So, um, (laughs) we'll get there. Just get where we need to go. Let's do it. (laughs) Roy, Roy comes into the apartment slash entire building that JF Sebastian seems to occupy the Bradbury and, um, sees that Pris is dead. And then he kisses her because the robots have to kiss each other. Um, Then he just starts, he goes like feral kind of, and just starts messing with Deckard. I I uh, definitely got really confused why he took all of his clothes off. I think it's just like the clothes were in the way, maybe. So, and I mean, (laughs) I don't know how to to say it. I think, and this just came up as we were talking, but we're supposed to assume since he just kind of shuts down at the end, he doesn't even get killed. This is the end of his lifespan. I mean, if it's a four hour, four year life and he's got like six hours left, that's like where everything's like, and if it is a natural like cell death, like his programs have started to shut down and like, it's just a big malfunction, I guess is what I would. Right. I, I think that that's my understanding too, because he does, you know, die shortly after this and it's not like he's shot he just dies, he just dies. so i believe yeah. that this is just like the final stages and he, he definitely knows it's coming because of like the hand mm-hmm. part because that's the second time you actually see that clenching of the yeah the hand motion it was interesting that they chose to do almost like a biological like deconstruction you know like yeah. he, he was like a death biological death but we are talking about the the running around and like the crazy motif and i did have a note because uh Ridley Scott had to include a, a wet gun wall, I like to call it. Oh, sure. Where there was just the, the gun through the wall and there's just water dripping everywhere. And I'm just like, oh, what yeah. is this guy's thing with dripping water on things that should not be dripping water? Yeah, I, I noticed that scene, oh, too. It's oh, a very cool... Also it's not even a scene. It's just one shot of a very wet wall. Is this um entire world just always wet? Yes. Like, it's just it's constantly cyberpunk. raining. It's cyberpunk. It's raining. It, this, this only ever rain, and there's just trash everywhere. And it's constantly night because of the fog in Los Angeles, so you know that rain is gross. Ugh. Oh, man. It probably burns a little. Probably. One one detail that I had actually forgotten is the part where, um, again, it's it's like a cat and mouse game. Then the mouse has a gun, but he, does, but he can't do anything with it because... It, do, it just doesn't matter. But uh, Roy like punches through the wall, grabs his hand, takes the gun, and then just like breaks, breaks his fingers. The the, like, wow, that's <laughs> I forgot how visceral this gets at the end. Partly because some of the viscerality, whatever I don't know what the word is, isn't in the other cuts. Actually, not oh, even in not even the director's cut um, is there quite so much uh, blood and explicit violence. And the part where he kind of like you know, puts a big nail through his hand. I wonder what that's a reference to. Um, oh, Jesus. Oh. Uh, 
Whoa. Whoa. Fantastic. When the realization hits. That. Sorry, unscripted. <laughs> um, the you just see him like start to do it in every other cut and then it like cuts away. But in this one, you just see it go all the way through his hand and then he like looks at it and moves it around in front of the camera. Um, anyway, so that's, so like you were saying, it's like he's starting, he's just trying to stimulate cause his, cause his, he's losing feeling in his hand, presumably. I mean, you know, he's, he's reconnecting the electrical circuits is how I sure. looked at that. Yeah. He's sticking a nail through it and that's why it worked again. It made sense. Yeah, and I, I love this sequence so much. And again, it's like, I don't know, it doesn't make any sense. Who cares? Um, <laughs> Roy has gone full monster, and Deckard basically has no dialogue from when he talks to the cops before going in the building, before he even fights Press, until Gaff shows up in the end. I don't think Harrison Ford has any dialogue. It's just no. survival mode grunting and trying to climb up stuff. Does yeah. Does he say anything when he um, first enters the building? Because I know that he goes to make the shot and skims his ear. Um, I don't. I don't think, think Decker does. It's all. It's all Roy. Because I, I think Roy from this says point like on. um something to the lines of like playing fair or something like that. Yeah, and I, I think just like right after that. Sh- well, uh, Decker was already in bad shape from the fight before. Yeah, yeah. And then I, I think he was just breathing heavy and like oh, really trying right. to like. Yeah. So this is this scene goes on for a while. Um, Roy does that thing where he punches his head through the bathroom wall. I could he's not like stop laughing. Hissing at him and stuff. It's, it's so good. Yeah. Rucker Howard, by the way, great, great job. He just died a couple uh, last year or the year before or something. But uh, what what a man. Yeah, I, I just definitely was not expecting the, the head through the wall at all. Nope. That's not the move that you're expecting. And he's just, I think he's just trying to freak Deckard out, which, yeah. I, which I can appreciate. I, I think he just like... At that point, it's like, yeah, my like morality, like my like mortality is hitting, and he's just like, I'm just gonna make a point this entire time. Like, yeah. I don't think he had any real intentions yeah. of killing. He's just that. showing, like, look, I don't want to die. I'm a human. There's no difference between us. Mm. Cool shit. So they keep climbing up and up and up, and Decker gets up on the roof, and this is between probably this and the Voight Kampf test with Leon at the beginning of the movie. Certainly one of the more iconic scenes in it. Um, they're up on the roof. Deckard tries to jump across. He can't because he's 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 got old body. And um, Roy comes up and saves him from slipping off. He kind of sneers at him for a little bit. And then right when he slips, he grabs him and then like one arm deadlifts him up onto the top of the roof. Yep. Cool shit. It was. And I, I, I definitely did get the intention of that scene. Like I could feel the stress in it. it t- t- for me, it tied back to the like, living in constant fear is slavery so it just like to, to see him struggling just yeah. trying to, to live a, i don't know it, it hit right, a point yeah. i can't really make it was it was good yeah yeah that that part i think is yeah all of this stuff is really good um and that's when he gives the tears in the rain monologue which has its own wikipedia page oh, interesting. so <laughs> um but but the point of you know and this also this is the part that looks different between the director's cut and the final cut, which is on Netflix, I think the final cut one looks better. The lighting's different, and then you see a shot of the sky as the dove flies away. He, he has a white dove. It's not explained where he got the white dove from. He didn't have it when he got to the roof, but then he is holding it while this is all happening. Yeah. Um, it's a robot. When it when it like flies away, the sky is different between the two versions of the movie, too. Interesting. Yeah, in the director's cut, it just looks like the side of like a warehouse or whatever. 
in the final cut, it, it looks better. It just, it's a more interesting sky view, whatever. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Mm. But yeah, the Tears and Rain monologue, um, I don't know. What'd you guys think of it the first time you saw it? I don't know if I'm just interpreting it differently, but yeah. it was more of like the things that like he's been able to experience being like a synthetic being and everything that he's seen outside of Earth will never be experienced by anyone because everything about him is going to disappear. Mm-hmm. Like, like like files wiped, nothing's there. Yeah. He can't relay this information kind of thing. I, I like that take. I, I I can see that. What I took out of it, and I think this is probably bleeds into like my debate between like the morality is um he seemed kind of like a, a sore loser towards the end because it, his explanation of what he lived, it, he's got the better end of the deal between the two of them. I mean, Decker's been in this shitty LA shithole and he's been exploring the wonders of space seeing things we wouldn't even believe and i when you're saying like it's it's terrible that he won't get to share that like right that is the tragedy but the anger and like the the angst of like i deserve to be a human it it felt almost like undeserved it's like you're already a human guy like you're spending all this time trying to be something you already are. And you've gotten to experience things that humans will never even have a chance to see. I'm assuming they get to actually like go into space since they don't have lungs and shit. Like, I don't know. And I think that's, I, I take it as he, that's what he's, he's telling Deckard. He's almost taunting him. Like you think you're like a, a real person. You'll never experience the shit I've experienced. I've actually lived. You don't. You aren't living. That's and that, yeah. And for and I mean, maybe I'm just t- taking it the wrong way. But so, for yeah, me, that it kind of is the same like, thing. It's just tone, right? Yeah. There. And, and I'm, I'm just like, <laughs> so why were you such a dick about things? Like you're the winner, man. Go explore space. What are you doing yeah. on this shithole? Well, I mean, he's I, trying not to die. <laughs> four, year, four years is a short period of time. And I, it's I, it's been three years and three hundred and sixty four and a half days, apparently. It, it just it's <laughs> anytime you start talking about space, I always get that that space mindset where we're talking talking about billions of years and honestly there's yeah. really no difference between four and 60 years or, or 80 or however 600 <laughs> yeah so four, four years feels pretty short though. oh yeah. it does <laughs> but it, i but i i definitely see what you're saying so again i think you know they're all they're all learning about themselves so yeah just so we have it here i've seen things you people wouldn't believe attack ships on fire off the shoulder of orion i watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the tanhauser gate all those moments will be lost in time, like tears and rain. Time to die. And you know what? It's sad for him, but hell, it's sad for the rest of us. I've seen things you'll never see. Like, <laughs> yeah, we all have our own personal experiences, right? And I mean, it, it, it's good. I, I, I'm coming around to the movie now. But now uh, <laughs> at, yeah. any, at any point, do they explain how they found out they only live four years? Uh, it's in the opening crawl. No, 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 no. I know we know as, but like, do the synthetics know? Like the replicants? Doesn't seem like a secret. Yeah. Like it's, I, it seems like it's it's part of the deal that they, they you know, were told or whatever. Even if they weren't explicitly told, if everybody just knows, yeah. there's no yeah. way to. It doesn't seem to be like uh, anyone's trying to keep the secret from them. It's like what we were talking about with Tyrell before. It's just, it's careless. They probably shouldn't tell them. No, especially if you're going to develop a multi-year backstory. I think that's right. that. That's why the four right. years feel so short for them. Because if they didn't have a frame of reference, it would just be their time. Exactly. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Exactly. Um, that a lot of parts of that speech, which isn't even that long, has have been adapted into other things. 
there's not a, a single sci-fi game where you're exploring space that doesn't reference Tannhauser Gate, which oh. isn't a thing. Interesting. Um, yeah, I think like pretty much anything in there, you know, it's just so good. I really like the imagery of attack ships off the shoulder of Orion. I thought right? that was a very cool, like, I mean, it means nothing, but like, it's such a cool image. Yes. Yeah, just thinking of like, just crazy space nonsense. They did a very good job of making me think of that without like using any space images in the show whatsoever. So there's a, I don't know. Yeah, again, one of those things. I wasn't there, so I don't know. But the story, maybe it's apocryphal. I don't know. Um, Rucker Howard improvised that. Oh. That wasn't written down. He made that all up and did it on the spot. That would be incredible. And apparently the crew all burst into tears and applauded him when the scene was wrapped. Sounds right. (laughs) Yeah, apparently they tried different things and it just wasn't working. And he was just like, clear out. I'm calling an ISO. Watch, just let me work. (laughs) Um, Do androids dream indeed. Yeah, exactly. And it's just like, yeah. The imagery doesn't specifically mean anything, but the way he's delivering it, that point in the movie, the the performance mixed with just the imagery, it's just like, Very damn, cool. man. Yeah, that sounds cool. <laughs> I want to see it. <laughs> yeah, I want to see that shit. And you know what? It, it's intentional that we never saw space. Mm-hmm. They, they shouldn't have showed us that. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, we should have no have idea what it looks like because humans have no yeah. idea what it looks like out Decker there. Decker doesn't know. Oh, no, definitely not. Especially, like, they don't have the same TV technology we do. They, like, really have no idea whatsoever. Uh, then Gaff pops up, says, you've done a man's job, sir. And, um, yeah. And th- Quest complete? I mean- also throws him his gun, which means he went through the facility, which really begs the question of, was he watching the entire time? Quite possibly. He says, I guess you're through. Ford says, finished. And I wrote that that is the first line that Ford has said in a while mm. at that point. I don't know. I didn't, I, you know, I didn't take a timer to it, but since he got out of his car after confirming his identity to those cops and then went into the Bradbury. Oh yes. After the Jawas attacked his car. <laughs> right. Did he even yeah. talk to the woman that the other woman, the gym, gymnast? No. no, they didn't even have a, nope. she, 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 uh, oh, uh, jumped up. Ambushed him. Yep. yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, mm. That's pretty cold. I mean, even in most movies, there's at least a, you're going to die now, punk. But like, he just just ices (laughs) him. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, As Gaff's leaving, he says, uh, it's too bad she won't live. Talking about Rachel. It's another famous line for the movie. And, you know, there's been a lot of like nuance in it. But this one, not as much nuance. Uh, It's too bad she won't live. But then again, who does? Yeah. (laughs) Um. That is pretty much the end of it. Deckard's back in his apartment. Rachel's there. He makes the decision to not turn her in or to retire her, but to instead try and run away with her. He he does have that feeling that someone has broken into his house, too, because he, he goes gun drawn. He does. And then he sees as he's leaving that Gaff has left origami there. As we were talking and you keep saying we're going to get to it, I realized that the origami he left there was an origami unicorn. Yes, it was. Which, how the <laughs> fuck do you make a unicorn horn in origami? God bless him. I mean, like, all all the just, crazy things that have happened in this movie, it's like, that origami seems too difficult. It's too difficult. I mean, come <laughs> well, on. I, when I mean, do you have time for this? It seems like whenever he goes anywhere, he makes something incredibly fast, which just begs the question of if he is also a replicant as well. Which, <laughs> is that one of the Specifically theories? for making. Is is there a theory that he's also a replicant? I think, I mean, there's, if you Google 
is blank a replicant in Blade Runner? There's going to be an article about it. Gotcha. Uh, it's not as it's not a popular one that Gaff is a replicant. <laughs> but the de- it is popular that Deckard is a replicant. Is that what we've been getting to? Almost there. Almost oh, there. Um, All right. Uh, also, I do just from like an art standpoint of whenever they are talking with like the replicants and everything, the eye glow yep. was really nice. I appreciate yes. that because like there's points where you can see like. I don't know if they're more like focused in on what the situation's going, if they're like yeah. processing something, because they don't all show it, but all they the all the time. It's only particular moments. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And if you haven't seen it, it's like when you see, you know, a dog that's outside at night and there's a light reflected in their eye or whatever. Um, there's the, it kind of is a, a sort of brownish circle inside a circle that you see in all, I think every replicant eyes throughout the movie and at one point you see it in Deckard's eyes too um the Uh, movie so he picks up the origami unicorn he nods as if he understands something uh maybe that Gaff was here and is choosing not to pursue them and is letting them go or that Gaff's trying to tell him something else and then (laughs) then they get in the elevator the doors close and then directed by Ridley Scott some really cool music starts playing but the one thing i want to hit on real quick before we get to the next thing that you want to talk about i think i got it now but continue. yeah um the movie doesn't end there in the theatrical cut oh instead it goes uh ah she didn't live for four more years she lived uh that many years and longer we spent lots of good time together and there's like a shot of uh it's like a sunny um, Pacific Coast Highway. They're in like a nice car. It's Deckard and Rachel just looking real happy, just driving away. And that's how the movie ends in the theatrical cut because the studio didn't like the ambiguous. They get in the elevator and the movie ends. It f- it doesn't fit at all. No, it is not, so bad. Not a fan of that. It doesn't look. I think Ridley Scott specifically was like, I'm going to make this look as little like the rest of the movie as possible because I want to make it explicitly clear that this does not belong here. Put it after the credits. <laughs> yeah, I mean, almost, yeah. Um, and yeah, so it's it's pretty bad. We can we should watch that after this, just because it's, it's for two reasons. It's very short, um, and but it shows you both how bad the studio's ideas were, and also it has the terrible narration in it. Oh, perfect. So, you know, two birds with one stone. Um, okay, so yeah. What did you just get? <laughs> he left him a unicorn because he knew that he had that weird ass dream about the unicorn. So yeah, when Rachel comes to his apartment after the Voigtkampf test and is trying to say, I'm not a replicant. I have these memories and I have these pictures of my family. And he says, Oh, is one of your memories this? And he's like, Oh, you never told anyone that, right? Yeah, no, I know because that memory was implanted in you. Yes. Deckard is looking at pictures of his family and old pictures of stuff when he has the unicorn dream and Gaff knows about the unicorn dream and he hasn't told anyone about it. Gotcha. Yeah. So that's the most specific thing. There's a bunch of other things too. Like we mentioned, the glow is in his eye at one point. The thing that took me out of that is Gaff was so goddamn weird that I just took the origami as like a Gaff was going to kill him and didn't and didn't pay attention to what it was origami of. Like, I couldn't tell you what any of the other origamis were yeah. throughout the movie. <laughs> so I just blew right by it. But it makes I, sense. I think the first one's, what, a swan? Something like the that. The second yeah. one's, like, a weird match person. 
Mm. And then the there's last... like a little person at one point. And then because that's when um he finds the uh, snake scale, I believe. Interesting. Which okay? it's very impressive that he is able to do this in about thirty seconds. Him looking around the apartment, but mm-hmm. so what are the other? So the eye flash, unicorn dream, the the Gaff and Deckard relationship. People think Gaff is his handler or something. Did also, they mention handlers, or is that just like they assume? It handlers? seems like uh, something Ridley Scott said later. He's never explicitly answered it. He kind of almost has, and sometimes he's just said, "You're an idiot if you don't get it." Gotcha. Literally, those are his yeah, words. Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> um, uh, but he has basically said, like, you know, maybe Deckard's like a Nexus Seven or something. And Gaff's there to make sure he keeps him on task. Gaff obviously doesn't like him <laughs> just the same way that other people just kind of are crappy to replicants throughout the movie and don't really care about their feelings or whatever. Right. And Deckard ultimately doesn't want to do things that he's constantly doing. He's clearly very obedient. Um, Might not be part of it, but I'll just throw my own uh, artistic interpretation. Yeah. He could be so weird and out there because we're seeing him from Deckard's perspective and he's a regular human and to, you know, like Deckard's like, why is this human so freaking weird all the time? And, you know, maybe he's just wearing a nice shirt instead of a suit. And it to us, it looks like that weird pimp get out here. Yeah. I don't know. So, yeah, the the unicorn dream sequence seems to be a pretty explicit answer to this question. It's not in other versions of the movie. Oh, God. So, yeah. So, again, it's like way more ambiguous to other people who've seen it. Um, Harrison Ford doesn't think Deckard is a replicant because he thinks that the audience needs a human character to latch on to. I don't really need Harrison's takes Ford on anything. (laughs) No, Ridley Scott has literally said, you're an idiot if you don't get it. And then when he's expanded more on that, he said the thing about... You know, maybe he's a Nexus 7, maybe Gaff's a handler. They figured out some kind of process that makes them not go crazy Mm. and kill people. And uh, Deckard seems mostly docile compared to them and whatever. But a a couple other notes. Um, He's the only one who can fight replicants. He doesn't just, he gets his ass kicked, but he doesn't die. And he does ultimately win fights against them. That's no one else true. does. They don't punch like through him. Like they right. presumably could do. Mm, yeah. Yes. It's considering uh, he punches to the wall to grab the gun. So exactly. Yeah. Um, other people, the, they just like blow away. You Like it says at the beginning, they killed 20 people. And right. Like was, they didn't take any damage. They didn't really make it. And like, yeah. they weren't wounded. They just, no, they weren't wounded or anything. Um, um, and then again, at the end, it depends. Another question of tone. Uh, you've done a man's job, sir. You've done a man's job, sir. Interesting. Um, <laughs> Interesting. Is he saying like, you did a good job for a robot, basically right. almost like a man would have. <laughs> well, yeah. Why else would he say that? It's not a common phrase. So people are like, that's a weird phrase. What does he mean I by mean, that? If he said it's a Rachel, it'd be a lot more ambiguous. <laughs> <laughs> now the way the, kind of a rapey kind of scene um, where he's pretty much ordering Rachel to do things. You Would you say if he is a replicant, he has some form of control or there's just general phrases you can say to replicants? I think that's just general dynamics of um, Rachel didn't have anywhere else to go and he was kind of manhandling her. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, I, now that we're talking about like, you know, maybe he's a Nexus 7, uh, for all we know, those replicants didn't even escape. They could have just been like released as a test for him um, maybe. to see like if this new breed of Blade Runner 
like maybe they were all replicants you know you don't really know it absolutely could have started with a short scene of them hijacking a ship and like going to earth or something and it chooses not to do that right uh it's not like this movie didn't have a lot of budget um they certainly could have started with a short scene like that um, but yeah, I'm like you said, it's important that it stays completely on earth the whole time, even though you know that this is a space traveling society. Right. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah. I actually, I have a couple notes of like, well, what does the other stuff look like in, mm-hmm. um, yeah, very clearly like that's. Yeah. So, uh, and, and just, just to get everyone in there. So Harrison Ford says not a replicant. Ridley Scott says you're an idiot if you don't get it. And then also says, yeah, he's definitely a replicant. And uh, for his part, uh, Philip K. Dick says, you know, that's the wrong question to ask. It doesn't matter. There's no difference between replicants and humans, and that's kind of the point. Oh, that's the right answer. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. He says you should be asking different questions, basically. You know, we're really going to have to ask this question in a lot more detail because it's going to become a problem of, like, actual realistic morality and i really oh, yeah. don't have a definitive answer i oh, know we're yeah. supposed to i do not have a definitive answer I, do you guys do you have definitive answers on this question uh, uh, what, which question would you give those replicants the same rights as as human beings would you consider them a human yeah well i think pretty soon we're gonna have um corporations insisting you have to sue individual self-driving cars and not the corporation oh my god oh <laughs> they, my god they, like run over a family member or something they're almost going to have to yeah <laughs> because they have to program logic into those things of what to hit and what not to hit and if somebody has to program it they're technically the person responsible for it if the, oh man i, I- we need any lawmaker <laughs> over 60 needs to go now. I can't even wrap my head around this problem. Like, but, but um, sorry, that's a little too political. For this. <laughs> as for like the replicants, I feel like it just depends on their intelligence, I guess, or how they can perceive everything. If it's more of just like a basic, like, this is my job on program for this versus like, I have, like we were saying, do they dream kind of idea? The same thing that's like, brought up in like um in irobot it's like do we dream this is what i dream of kind of idea then they could have rights it's obviously we're a distance away from that that we have to figure out but i'm gonna tell you right now for me this question answers the same question of like where is god for humans if he existed we fucking killed him and if we build this they will kill us because we will feel the ownership of we created them and we can do whatever we want with it and i feel like that's a, a common feeling and belief and it's going to be a really big problem because i don't think that's right either yeah and that's a question that i always enjoy investigating and and when fiction touches on it it's always super interesting i think precisely because we don't have a good answer um but yeah from you know mary shelley and frankenstein to i mean this and tyrell isn't the star of the movie but that ends up being the most interesting question really right yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I just love that concept in general because it's always funny to me where it's like, well, if they're God, why couldn't they do blah, blah, blah? It's like any right. example we've seen of a God that creates something can absolutely create something that can destroy it. Like, that's just the nature of creation. Yeah, and just to kind of go macro on it, this is something that Ridley Scott clearly is still thinking about because 40 years later, he's still making movies about that exact thing. Yeah, I mean... About the nature of creation and meeting your creators and being disappointed or vice versa. Yeah, oh, man, I feel like now we got to make our way around to Prometheus at this point (laughs) are we doing them in order we've done one and two kind of in order he did a movie before alien called the duelists that i think its budget was like 500k so we're not counting that for these purposes oh is prometheus the next one after this 
No. Well, no. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> he's got about 30 movies in between. I was going to say, I thought there was a lot of movies in there. <laughs> yeah, he, he's been working, man. He He's had two movies this year alone as like an 83-year-old, so he's been working. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to do one on Prometheus. Yeah. Sh- should I tell the podcasters my crazy ratings? <laughs> Uh, yeah, because like at this rate, it is going to be a couple years before we get to Prometheus. <laughs> Fair. So my, my order for the alien movies, I got alien Prometheus covenant two, three. And, uh, Ben thinks I'm a maniac. No. I mean, I, I am kind of happy that you did not include four. No, I didn't see four. Good. Don't. It's an abomination. <laughs> I think what I specifically said, not that you're a maniac, but that that is a freaks rating yes. and I dig it. <laughs> Yes. And I think I might agree. I, I, might I like aliens a lot more than you do. I but. might swap Covenant and Prometheus even though, and I think that's a little crazier. Yeah. I like aliens a lot more than you do, but yeah. but I think Prometheus and Covenant are super underrated. I like those movies a lot. I think seeing them all together, my problem with aliens is aliens, Prometheus did what aliens tried to do with the like, what if the alien was something different? And Prometheus just did it way better. I, I think my rating would go... Alien, Aliens, Prometheus, Covenant 3. Okay. Okay. It's been a while since I've seen all of those movies, though. I'd have to come back around. Well, it's it's going to be different for everyone that hasn't seen them like I did. Be- because you have those yeah, those locked like in that, yeah. those locked in memories of sure. like yeah. two being so good. You know, and I, I just don't have that. I, I went straight through. Yeah. Well, how can we even be sure memories are real, right? (laughs) (laughs) They're they're really not. Robbie, are you a replicant? This is probably. Psychologically, we've shown that like every time you access a memory, your brain subconsciously changes it. The more you think about something, the less real it is. It's insane. I think we've all had that experience with like, you know, any older family member that's told the same story for however many years and it's different every time. It's not because they're consciously changing it. No one's lying it's, to you. It's just yeah. one big game of telephone. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you're yeah. playing it with yourself. It, exactly. it, it's the same idea where like if you take photos of things and don't just like participate in the moment, you only your only oh, reference yeah. of memory is those photos and you can only think of things that happened around that time. Oh, interesting. So if you don't take photos, you'll remember the whole experience more clearly yeah yeah well i never take photos so that's amazing the uh the anti uh camera phone contingent at, at concerts I, I totally agree it's so stu- I, I it's was, just stupid th- there's gotta be a balance though because i do regret yeah. not having more photos i think i need to like make a more of a conscious effort of now is a time for a photo mm, or maybe have something like a GoPro where you literally record everything. I don't think I want that on me now. Uh, well, probably not. <laughs> but I mean, like, if you're on vacation and you're doing some things, have recordings. That's I'm fair. not saying record at every yeah. part of your life. <laughs> oh, I just mean me in general. I don't think everyone needs to see what goes through my head on a daily basis. You could just do that thing where you just live stream your entire life. Hell yeah, that's people what people want to see. People, some people do that. I know. Just constantly online on Twitch. This is me at work. <laughs> that's wild. Yeah. I don't think it's a good idea, but people do it. <laughs> I don't think so either. But hey, makes you money. But I mean, I, I'd still say overall, I did enjoy the movie. I do have like gripes here and there, but I still don't know if it's just it hasn't aged well for me since I haven't seen it till this point. The experience of watching it the first time, I absolutely can see why you'd kind of bounce off of it or whatever. But I, but this is this is the conversation I was hoping we'd have about it. I feel like it can sub, even if you don't love it even if you don't like really enjoy the experience of watching it i think this has still been a fun conversation oh yeah <laughs> you, you definitely spring a lot of conversations that aren't usually talked about either 
Oh, for sure. I wonder for me, and like maybe it's just me not liking the artistic styling, but I feel like it didn't need to be as long as it was. And we could have cut out a lot of dead space and had like an hour and 45 minute movie. And it would have caught my attention a little bit more. I, and I probably wouldn't missed as much because I definitely zoned out for parts where it was just like dead, dead screening. And that's why I missed the freaking unicorn yeah. thing. But B- besides the unicorn part, that's my review of House of Gucci. So that might just be a really Scott thing. Oh, uh, well, <laughs> Alien wasn't really like that. No, no, Alien is, Alien's pretty taut, but it is long. Yeah, no, I don't mind the length. I just, when it's the noir style, they do that all. It, there's literally like one minute stretches where there's there's nothing. It's just saxophone and scenery. And I, I get it. It's the style. <laughs> now, if they did a little bit more world building with that extra 15, 20 minutes, would that be oh, it would a be better? A, it probably would have been a perfect movie for me because oh. I really like the the subject matter. I think it's just the delivery w- threw it off for me but it's the first you know you gotta give them some slack for a delivery i think yeah i i super i i like it now you know repeated viewings knowing what you're getting out of it not expecting more than what's there mm. um is maybe helpful for this movie because oh. i i really like just hanging out in the world and it just being like here's the street and i'm like yeah there's the street let's look at the street okay <laughs> now the is it a sequel that came out or is it the same world as it a remake? Yeah, we actually, we haven't talked about 2049. Um, Blade Runner 2049 came out, I want to say, what, 2017? Yeah, maybe? it was relatively recently. That yeah. was a mistake. We're going to be around to see how bad they screw that up, too. <laughs> he should have done, like, 2150, so we oh, couldn't see yeah, how bad it, it turns yeah, out. Because yeah. we're, we're going to live to that. <laughs> yeah, that's... Uh... And, uh, the, and you know, to be clear, 2049 is a Denis Villeneuve film. He just made Dune. Oh, and, uh, it's not Ridley Scott. Nope. Nope. It's directed by Denis Villeneuve. And... Uh, like just his work on Dune. Yeah, he just just practicing for Dune. He got the he got the scale with the action that time instead of just the scale with sad Ryan Gosling. For the record, I love Blade Runner twenty forty nine. I think it gets into a lot of uh, interesting stuff and ultimately sets up a sequel that doesn't seem like it's ever going to be made about um, a replicant revolution. There's an undercurrent in twenty forty nine about replicants starting to organize. And uh, they're just never going to make a sequel because it didn't make that much money. <laughs> oh, so it's pretty much like, uh, was it Beyond Human? That's fair. Yeah. Is that like what it looked like it would turn into? Probably. I mean, it seems like that's what it's going towards and just like, yeah, let's get into it. But um, I, I thought 24-9 was cool. I like Ryan Gosling as an actor. I don't know. Harrison Ford's in it again. It's going to be interesting. I, I'm like, cause we talk about robot uprising and like my brain bounces back and forth. Cause I'm like, we absolutely can't make robots cause they're absolutely going to uprise. But the, the flip side is like, that has to be programmed somewhere. They, they have to have a want or a need. I, I, and I just, I don't see where that comes right. from. I, I'm, we're going to get here though. I feel like we'll be alive to see some form of Android. See, my, my thought is that it can only be as smart as the smartest programmer. That, Depends that, on how you define intelligence. It could be more knowledgeable about, than anybody in the world. Uh, well, I mean, it, I can understand them having like, obviously we have our phones, you have all of hum- humanity on your pocket, but I guess they'd just have immediate access would be by assumption. But I don't think that they could create more thought or like be able to make themselves. The the concept of having them create original ideas is something that I don't think we've worked out. I, I don't think that has happened yet. To be able to be smarter than a human, though, like when we build AI neural nets, we're basically building neurons and brain cells that self-learn and self-train. And I think we're getting to a point where they can start building them themselves. 
And once we let that run wild, I think they'll be able to, I think our technology will limit it, but they theoretically could build a better brain than a human being because they could just keep programming themselves better and better. I think they'd, our brain processing is better than any computer we could possibly build. Mm -hmm. So we can't build something that could keep up with our brain. But once that changes, I mean, we've started storing data on DNA. We're getting into Blade Runner territory. <laughs> yeah. So that, that, like what you're talking about, they can think things a lot more efficiently than we can. And uh, what's the point when they decide that the greatest inefficiency on earth is humans? <sighs> yeah. Right. Uh, well, and so we say that. <laughs> and that's that. just the basis for sci-fi. <laughs> oh, that is the basis. And we say that, and I've just, I've explored that idea. And I just, I don't understand why we always get to that. I think we have a very negative view of ourselves, but- what if a robot views it and the purpose of life is for humans to be as successful as possible? I mean, we're theoretically the only living things in the universe. What if robots see that as something that is required to be protected? Yeah. Well, you mentioned iRobot and Asimov has the the laws about robots and stuff. And uh, maybe we should do iRobot too. I don't know. Because yeah, then, cause then, we could, because then you're getting movie. into, uh, you know, what yeah. are their limits? Can they hurt humans? What yeah. are the situations in which they could hurt a human, which yeah. iRobot And then you kind of with. blur those rules a little bit. These movies always make me go on a tangent. I'm sorry. Oh, no, it's, it's great. It's a <laughs> podcast. That's what it's for. All right. All right. All right. Um, when we are only tangent. <laughs> yeah. We, we exist to tangent, basically. Um, yeah. So you guys, I think, fair to say, appreciated the movie. Oh, no. Okay. no definitely. I enjoyed it. I'd not have a bad time. Was, okay, cool. Good. Cool, cool. Yeah. Yeah, Mine was more a critique of uh, of how it was done than what was done, I guess. Yes, yeah, yeah. The subject matter, and endlessly interesting to me, and hopefully to our listeners, because we're about an hour and a half in now. And then, like, when we're talking about iRobot, I just, I think iRobot did touch on something similar, and I, I, yeah. I think they maybe did a little bit of a better job, but that's probably an unpopular opinion. I don't know how well-liked iRobot is. I mean, the, the source material, I think Asimov in general is considered the guy on robots. Okay. More than, more than uh, Philip K. Dick would be, you know? That, that makes sense. You, so. you, you get what you have to work with. Yeah, and I mean, you do have more source material the further you go in. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. That's, that's super true. Just as you keep building, there's more stuff to reference. There's more stuff to build on top of. Yeah, yeah different theories that no one thinks of are different angles. Yeah. They're, mean, they're only going to get better and better. It's going to be fantastic. You got to give like top, top notch uh, credit for building this original concept. Oh, definitely. You know, and that's, that deserves all the credit in the world. So like I said before, I don't have a game. I did write down here, uh, try to convince me you're not a robot based on a Turing test, but I wrote nothing else under that. So I don't know how to do that one. Well, I think Ro Robbie's a robot. <laughs> It's, I mean, the, the name's a dead giveaway. I feel like it's right there. That's true. I do have the ROB. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -mm. Um, so prove you're a ro uh, not a robot. I mean, ro Robert, like, come on. If you're going to be like, it's five degrees off of Robart. I do. I do beep robot. a lot too. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> um, that's, that's a good one though. Cause the Turing test always fucks me up. Um, cause you can't answer like saying, I don't know, doesn't fail the Turing test. A human would say, I don't know. The robot, and it'd be true, right? It would be true. A robot fails a Turing test by either answering a question, like 
asking a robot what love is, it would only ever give you the the definition. But if I said love is when you wake up in the morning and you smell your wife's shampoo resting on the pillow and and you think I want to do this for the rest of my life, mm-hmm. a robot couldn't say that. That like what is that? That's just I just gave you a, a series of situations. I didn't give you. Yeah, you gave an actual example of like what love is to you versus what the definition is oh, just this love love is the like release a, of oxytocin serotonin and one other one blah blah, blah 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 it's like you having compelling relations to another human being yeah but i think this turing test we can take i could probably pull one up <laughs> have you guys ever watched ex machina no i have not i think that's a good if you liked the if you like specifically the kind of stuff we're talking about is all ex machina is about yeah um so i would i would check that out Great movie, basically reclusive uh, tech bro guy, genius, billionaire, whatever, uh, invites an employee to his house in the woods and there's like a robot lady in the basement and he basically sets the employee about the task of trying to like talk to it and teach it to be a human essentially. Interesting. So this must with be t- with the idea of specifically calling out a Turing test and like getting it to pass a Turing test. So that can't be the origin of like calling something an ex machina. No, no, no. That's that's from what Greek. Okay, drama so it's the full de- yeah, ancient deus Greeks ex, and shit. ex machina because yeah. that that's basically a Mary Sue, right? Like somebody just comes in and and. Well, it's God from the machine, Deus ex machina. Literally, the end of dramas. Um, stuff would be very bad for the human. And then they would like literally like lower using a machine, a character playing God from like the top of the stage or whatever. Okay. And he'd come down and be like, everything's good now. Cause I know the so. expression when you're like, Oh, that was an ex machina. And when you were describing the movie, I'm like, okay, it can't yeah. be from there. <laughs> yes. So yeah. Deus ex machina, God from the machine, you know, here's been your, well, I guess that's Latin. I don't know. <laughs> Greek and Latin are basically the same goddamn thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm going to get roasted for that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's um, that's Blade Runner. Good movie. Yeah. It Good. was Blade I'm running and running. Running yeah. and running. I hate you so much. Uh, this has been late to the movies. I This is... And the, the, my guest today, Ridley Scott's Tots, uh, will we'll carry it forward. Um, oh, I should have pulled this up. Do you know what his next movie is? If we If we were going to go in order... Eventually, eventually we're just going to be like, I want to screw it. I just want to do Gladiator. (laughs) I definitely want I would love to do Gladiator. I'd love to do Prometheus. Um, That's not too recent, right? I mean, that's like 12, 15 years old, something like that. Yeah. His next movie is Legend. Never even heard of it, to be honest. Never seen it. And then Someone to Watch Over Me, then Black Rain, and then Thelma and Louise. Great movie. Uh, Good, good shit. Good shit. Uh, so yeah, like I said, I thought Thelma and Louise was going to be like a black and white, like Don, Bonnie and Clyde kind of thing. Is is it not? Um, for the record, Bonnie and Clyde also not on black and white. Really? Yeah. That's not from the forties. No. Huh. I no, got no, a no. horrible view of movie time. Bo- Bonnie and Clyde is like a period piece. Okay. But it's um, you know, from the sixties. Sixties. Okay. Great then, movie, yeah. What was the other one? Uh, Thelma and Louise. That's, that's from the nineties. Like nineties. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Great movie. Um, anyway, so yeah, if we were going to carry forward, that would be what's next on the Ridley Scott tap. Is uh, like I said, legend. We'll look into that. Maybe fuck it. Who cares? Um, 
<laughs> this has been late to the movies. My name is Ben. With Ridley Scott's tots were Will and Robbie. Thanks for being on, guys. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. And um, yeah, you can check out the show's Instagram run by Robbie. That's at late two, the number two. Movie, the movies, yep. Late two, the movies. Underscore podcast. Underscore podcast on Instagram. Uh, yeah, you can see it there. You can see our T Public storefront at Late to the Movies Podcast on T Public. Buy shirts if you want. I only made a storefront, so I personally could buy shirts. But you can't, you know, there's no reason to make it private. And I don't think they let you do that anyway. It'd be stupid. I don't think they would, no. No, they would be like, why'd you set this up on us? You could have done this somewhere else. And I could have, but I didn't. Perfect. And uh, the Instagram is the only place to see Ben's original poster art. So That's true. You Ooh, they gotta are pretty check fantastic. that out. That's true. We've we've done a few. So I think we've only put up two so far. There'll be more. But there's more. There's yeah. The one for the next episode is great. <laughs> and I also wanted to mention because uh, if you were someone who was trying to follow along and watch the movies as we're doing these, we haven't actually been saying what the next episode is at the end. Oh right. After oh. this episode, we're getting into Christmas stuff, and the next episode will be either uh, Muppets Christmas Carol. Or Die Hard, depending on what we record first. Well, I Die Hard is be... a Christmas movie, so. <laughs> yeah, it's a great Christmas movie. I love it. Um, I think it's going to be Muppets Christmas Carol first, then Die Hard. So if you want to watch the movies beforehand, that's what's coming up. Thanks again, guys. Uh, thanks for having us. It was a great time. Yep. And the episode's over.